0: Well, this morning, as we are uh, in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, I want to read three verses, and, uh, and then we are going to look at this thought. Uh, I was reading a while back, and then a preacher preached out of a passage you know, close to where I was reading, and, uh, and this began to build. I've held on to it for a while, until the Lord gave me peace about preaching it. But um, uh, in Daniel, chapter 3, verse 28 through 30, um, we are presented with an end result of a very hard time frame for three individuals. Y'all should know them by now. Uh, their name is Hananel, Mishael, and Azariah. I know some of y'all are like, wait, no, that's not their names. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, their Hebrew names are Hananel, Mishael, and Azariah. And, um, and these three individuals took a stand in a very difficult time. And verse 28 to verse 30 is the end result that everybody loves talking about. We all love going to 28 to 30. We all love looking at the last part of chapter 3. But you don't get verse 28 through 30 without verse 1 through 27. And, um, And so this morning... Here's what I want to preach, and, I'll, and then we'll read these verses, we'll pray, and we'll jump in. I want to preach on this thought, thriving in Babylon. Now, that, that kind of sounds like, you know, well, gracious, this ain't going to be a very biblical message. We're not supposed to be thriving in, 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 in a wicked world. Who said? Who said? Uh, it's not about the thriving, it's about how you get there. That's the question. And so, thriving in Babylon, let's look at what happened with these three. You tell me if if what we read right now in these three verses, you tell me if uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you tell me if they're not thriving by the evidence we see in verse number 28 to verse number 30. All right, so here, here we go. It's after the fiery furnace. That's all done. That's finished. Now let's look. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, And Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies. Isn't that interesting? Yield your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's New Testament. Here's Old Testament action of a New Testament command. They yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. By the way, little g, man-made gods versus capital G dealing with the one true God, creator of all things. Verse 29, therefore, I make a decree. That every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Now we could stop right there and say, Wow! Now that's a change of attitude. At the top level of the state. That's a change of attitude of the president of the country. But it doesn't end there. Verse number 30 is next. That's his decree because of these individuals. Now let's look and see if they benefit beyond that decree. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon, promoted them, lifted them up, exalted them. I guarantee you, at that point, they had nice houses. That point, they're they're walking around in a what would be considered the upper echelons of the nation of Babylon, and the the people. And when here they are, they go from the ones that everybody's pointing fingers at and throwing in a fiery furnace while, while the rest of society cheers these, these unrelenting, unbowing, uncaring, hateful individuals and throw them in the fire. And one moment, everybody's cheering on the fact that they're being persecuted and they're, they're being dealt with the way them sorry jokers ought to be dealt with and the next, time, next thing you know, they're being promoted where everybody has to now salute them. Now, if that's not thriving, I don't know what you call it. They didn't get taken out of Babylon. They are still in the midst of a wicked people. Just because the king made a decree doesn't mean that everybody is now godly and serving the God of these three. No, he just made a decree that if you talk against him, you're dead. Now, there's a great encouragement to start wondering who he is. And I guarantee you, there was probably some results that came from that. But as a whole, he did not say, we are now going to follow as a nation and we are going to serve as a nation. The only true God. He didn't do all that. I guarantee you, they still had their gods. You just had to make sure that you didn't speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because of all the gods we worship, there's none greater than their God. Ours can't do that. No, we're still going to keep ours. But man, he's pretty pretty, pretty good. So they're not, there's not this complete full turnaround and now here they are. They are the spiritual leaders of an entire nation. No, but there is a promotion that takes place and there is a change of, of uh, setting for these three individuals because of the hard stand they took. They learned how to thrive in Babylon. And may I say, um, in my personal opinion, I'm not saying America is Babylon, but if there, if there is ever a nation that is a, a direct view of what it would be like to live in a perverse nation, Oh, here we go. I thought you were a patriot. I'm a patriot of right. I I do love the fact that that our country is, is still a free country. I do appreciate what God has given us, and I'm very thankful, and I'm not going to downplay what we have in our country when it comes to the freedoms that we are afforded because of the lives that have been shed and given for us to have America today. But America today is not the America that's in most people's minds. Let's just be honest. Most people promoting America, America. Oh, the only godly nation. It ain't a godly nation. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? You, you, you get, start, start squirming now. It's going to be okay. America's not a godly nation. When America... Several years ago, when a different president was in place, America, and I've been watching some, some some videos, they just happened to pop up, and I'm like, thank you, Lord, because this really flows great. And I watched some some things. There was a, a push several presidents ago to make African nations follow the social whims of America. There was shaming of presidents of Uganda and Kenya by the president of the United States because they would not accept and push the social agenda of the LGBTQ+ and write in laws to protect a particular group and make that their primary focus in their nations in Africa. And they said, we're going to give you $60 million. That's even more recent. If you'll just focus on your social justice in your country. By the way, if you get a chance, go watch all the way back to Barack Obama and all the way through till to now, go watch some of the biggest pushes of getting other nations to focus on what America considers the most important things to do for your society and go look at the responses of the presidents of Uganda and Kenya and several other nations. They told reporters over and over while well, they been bombarded and shamed for taking stands in their country, These men voiced back and said, we have millions without homes. We have millions without proper food. We have millions dying because of lack of medical care because we just don't have what we need. And you want us to be worried about a small minority of opinion of what matters? That does not hit the top of our list. The top of our list is much more important things. If America wants to do that and America wants to focus on that, that's your business. And we're not saying much because it's not our country. But in our country, when the people decide... that's not important. We're, that's not important. You say, now preacher, what are you preaching on? I'm Watch. I'm preaching on learning how to thrive in Babylon. And if there's ever a good example of what Babylon is like, welcome to it. If you think God is the focus of America, you're living several centuries back. God is not our focus in this country. May I say we're struggling to make God our priority and focus in the church. And we're trying to make it sound like America still loves God. America doesn't love God. America as a whole is Babylon. Bow down and worship every idol we can possibly make a priority. And if you don't, we're going to burn you. Now, they haven't come after our Bibles yet, not in a full-fledged attack. They have not come after our ability to gather as God's people yet, not in a full-fledged attack. They haven't come after several things that would really be of great true persecution in America, but it's coming. And there's going to be a day when we are faced with bow to the whims of society or burn better yet go to another story we'll see in a minute bow to the whims and the new rules of society whether they make sense or not whether they follow biblical principles or not whether they match what you you believe in and follow or not you bow to the whims of society we're throwing you to the lions. The book of Daniel is full with four men. It's full of learning how to survive in Babylon and with God's help even have a chance to thrive. So we've read the verses. You kind of understand where we're going. I, let me jump in this so we don't take all day. Amen. Let's pray and, and, and then we're, we're going to look at, um, I'm going to build a small, small foundation here and then we're going to look at three things it takes to be able to follow the example of thriving that we see here. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for today. We pray that you'd help us as we look at these thoughts, look at the truth from your word, the examples you gave us. Would you help us to see the need as God's people To do it God's way. That you might be able to exalt in due time. Would you help us to be that which you are looking for in the church, in our nation, in this world? Would you challenge our hearts, encourage us where encouragement is needed. Lord, bring conviction where it is needed as well. And we'll thank you for it. We'll give you the honor and glory for it. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, when you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and also Daniel, which, by the way, Daniel's uh, Babylonian and Persian name was Belteshazzar. So it's funny how we call him Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but then we call him Daniel. You know, it's actually... Hananel, Mishael, Azariah, and Daniel. (laughs) And it's uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Bethlehazar. And so uh, we're so fickle in how we do things. But hey, once it's stuck, it's there, right? So regardless of how you refer to them, it's still the same people. But they thrived because of God's blessings in spite of living amongst a wicked society. People say that's not possible. Well, then how did it happen? You can't do that. Well, how did they do it? You think today is bad. It's no worse than it was back then when you think about it. We haven't yet. We're we're more like the days of Noah, but we haven't got to the point of the days of Noah yet. I mean, it's not, destruction hasn't happened just yet. It did happen for the days of Noah. So, I mean, it's getting rough and it's getting bad. And I guarantee you Babylon being, by the way, Babylon being the picture of what God uses for end time Persecution and all the fact that Babylon is the visual aspect of what God relates, the, the end time events going. Think about it, Babylon must have been pretty bad. And so they they survived and they thrived because of God's blessings. But it was only truly possible because of their unpopular, difficult, costly, and yet necessary stand. The average Christian today, and I want you to hear me on this and I want you to to, to pay attention with this, but the average Christian today is very interested in being able to thrive in our current society, right? The American dream. We want to thrive. I want to have a $30 to $50 an hour job. Matter of fact, I want to have it and I want to take a vacation every single month at the same time. That's how that's the mentality. They want to thrive in society. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, well, bless God, if you're a Christian, you you should prove it by being poor and pathetic. I'm not saying that. God can make millionaires out of his people, too. There have been several over the years that have, have been blessed by God and they poured millions back into the the ministry and the gospel around the world so god's not against his people thriving i don't believe we have to walk around in sackcloth and ashes 24 7 just to prove we're a good christian i'm a true child of god look how miserable i am that's the mentality we have you're either worldly and happy or you're you're a christian and you're miserable that's the world's successful repainting of the picture. So nobody wants to be a Christian, not at least in that form. So now we have to have Christianity that is mixed with worldliness and it's called carnality. And therefore you can have the label of Christianity but be as carnal as you want and you can be happy but not have to actually serve God. But, but that doesn't work. Society might call you successful but does God see it that way? Society might say, you've arrived, but does God see it that way? Society might say, wow, look at your influence, but does, is God really happy with that influence? Here's the problem. Most are, pretty much all Christians today, and again, I, I'm all about being valid in society. I'd sure like to have people in society listen to what I have to say. Consider me valid to actually, you know, hey, it, 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 if people in our city actually thought and said, you know what, I, we'd sure like to ask the pastor at Bethel or the pastor at this church, we sure like to ask our pastors what they think about this law before we make it. That would be great. I'd love that. And y'all know I, have, I, don't, I don't really have many opinions. You gotta laugh, all right? However, Watch. Most are more interested in accomplishing that desire of thriving in Babylon their way and not God's way. God's way is not nearly as enticing. God's way of thriving is not nearly as comfortable. God's way of getting to the point of thriving is not nearly as easy a road as the one that I could make for myself. But you see, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. James 4, 10 uh, backs that up uh, by saying, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. God is just, he's waiting and he's fully able and I would say even eager to take his people and Exalt and lift them. Why? Because as a child of God with the right heart and mindset, as as they are lifted by God in the eyes of men, they now have an opportunity to lift the one who's lifting them. And he said, and I, if I be lifted up, I know he's talking about the cross per se, but still even today, if Christ be lifted up in our lives, and if he knows that he can lift us up for better viewing, that we then have the ability and the desire to then lift him up so he is above me in the viewing, then God can lift up his people so that he will be seen even more. That's all he does with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's what he's doing with Daniel. God, because they humble themselves, because they're willing to endure what they endure, God then, knowing the the amount of faith and trust he can place in their faithfulness, he then lifts them up because the higher they're exalted, the more they exalt him. And so the Lord helps them to thrive in Babylon because the more the people see them, the more Christ, the more the God that created us, the more the one that did everything for us is exalted. And even the highest of the highest of the highest positions of the nations, not once, but multiple times, exalt the God of of these men we don't really know him but they do and there's no god like him so how did they come to that conclusion if they worship so many gods because these men had to be willing to go through things that most of us would not be willing to go through let I me mean, say it this way and i'm going to give you these three thoughts it's going to be quick because we're already rolling out of time But may I say it this way? Blessing myself is not the same thing as having God bless my life. Let me, let me say that again. Blessing myself is not the same thing as having God bless my life. You can work and you can provide and you can make it Happen and you can bless yourself and call it God all you want, but when you're having to work yourself to the bone to make it all happen, and probably not God. But may I say, when the impossible happens and no one can explain it, except for I don't know how in the world that's happened with their life, I don't know how in the world that they've reached that point. I mean, gracious, that's the last person I would have thought. People would follow. It's the last person I would have thought that people would have actually uh, uh, considered to be a leader or this or that or whatever. And we're not talking about the world setting. We're talking about God taking someone and exalting them. When I bless myself and I bless my own life and I just work more hours and I'm just going to give myself more money so I can buy more things and say, look what God has given me. No, you gave it to yourself. It's not the same thing. Can God bless with material things? Yes, he can. Can God bless beyond just what is my basic needs? Oh, yes, he can. He does it on a regular basis. And when God does it, you look back and you say, I don't know. I can't put it on paper. I can't can't figure all this out. When I do it myself, I can figure out how I got there, what I did, what I accomplished, and how I could repeat it again. But when God does it, I'm like, "Mm. how do you have? I don't know. I really don't know because if I show you everything, I really can't figure out where it came from. And I did not rob the bank, I promise. But if we expect to have the Lord's help as we face this increasingly hostile environment towards God's word and God's people, we have to resolve to follow God's instructions and examples. So here's what we see in I have a lot more scripture to read than I have time to read it. So I'm going to reference it and you mark it down. Go back and read it. Much of it shows you the process here in the book of Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 15, you see the choice that is made from the very beginning. And, uh, and this brings about point number one. Here it is. You ready? Point number one. How in the world are we going to thrive in Babylon? We have to resolve to commit to your purpose. Resolve to commit to your purpose. You say, well, I, I am. I'm committed to the purpose I've created. No, 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 <laughs> wrong direction. Put you out of, out of the context. Resolve to commit to your purpose. What is your purpose? Well, you cannot write it down based off of what you've, you've thought through and decided, well, here's gonna be my purpose in life. No, no, your purpose in life as a child of God's already been written. All you gotta do is obey it. All we have to say we. All we gotta do is obey it. Purpose has already been prescribed. So what do I need to commit to? Uh, Matthew 5. Don't, don't turn there, just listen. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Y'all ready? Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men ye are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven which by the way predicates the whole point that it must be the fact that you are a child of god not that you are a good good uh, societal individual you're a good moral person no no you are a child of god why because it says you're a father in heaven and jesus himself said there's only actually two uh, type of fathers you can have the father in heaven or your father the devil you are one of two families you are a child of god or you're a child of this lost world that Satan leads and tempts and forces as far away from God as possible. And so we resolve, if you are a child of God, you know Christ is your personal Savior. Eternity has been settled because of what Christ did on the cross for you, and you accepting that as a child of God, my prescribed purpose... By the way, you could also go to the passage where uh, it talks about the fact that we are predestined. Yes, predestination, Woohoo! We've already preached on a lot before. Predestined not to be saved, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. There is my uh, commitment of purpose. There is my reason for living to be conformed to the image of his son, to be the salt and to be the light in a dark And and dead world. It is my purpose not to live for myself, but to live. Unto him, gonna have baptism in just a little bit here, and that we talked about it several times. Romans chapter six, we just dealt with it in Wednesday night. Romans six being through baptism, not just the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but it is also the remembrance and the picture that we died to sin and are alive unto God. Romans chapter six. And so, as we are looking at this, what is my purpose? My purpose is not what I can do for my family. My purpose is not what I can do for myself. My purpose is not to match the Joneses. I don't know what Brother Harry and Miss Patsy have, but I don't have to match y'all, okay? I just, I just gotta, I gotta live with what God wants me to do, all right? But the, it doesn't matter what your neighbors have, doesn't matter what down the street has, doesn't matter what so-and-so over there has. My purpose is not to try to measure up and match somebody's expectation. My purpose is not to try to measure up and match somebody else's accomplishments. My purpose is not to go get all these different degrees so I have all these different things before my name that mean absolutely nothing, because the more educated you are, the more stupid you are as a whole. But Hey, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We got so many degrees and can't figure out that there's only two, two uh, genders in this world, okay? We, we are so smart, we've kicked out biology completely. But here's the thing. My purpose is not to match what this world considers important. As a child of God, my purpose has already been prescribed to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be the salt in a tasteless world, and to be the light in the darkness that surrounds me. Therefore, as you see Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, it's funny how at the very beginning of the book, you see all four together. Daniel's your leader. He had purposed in his heart not to defile himself. Not that the meat was bad, not that the meat was poisonous, but according to the Jewish law and the Jewish guidance for them that they were already aware of, they knew they were not to eat of that kind of meat. And so he purposed, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to get drunk on the on the king's wine. I'm not going to eat the meat that, that would defile me in my following of the Lord. He said, well, that's ridiculous. We ought to be able to eat whatever meat we want. Well, here's the thing. If God's given you a particular uh, a prescription of what is for your life and God has laid on your heart a particular area that you are not to cross, you better not cross it. I don't care if everybody else can. You shouldn't. If God gives you a conviction that he lays on your heart, even if the rest of the world or the church says that's stupid, if God lays it on your heart, then it's for you and you ought to obey it may not be something that somebody else that God has laid on their heart for. I mean, I'm not talking about things that are prescribed in God's word specific for all Christians. I'm talking about there are very specific things that God lays on an individual's heart that for somebody else may not be a problem, Something somebody else God may not have laid any kind of conviction on, but in that particular area where God has told me, you shall not, I shall not. That is my conviction, not because I'm trying to be better than somebody else, but because God gave me something, and to not do it, even if everybody else says, oh, it's okay. But to not do it means I disobey what he has given me. My prescription of purpose is already given. I am to please my God. I am to be in the image of the Savior Christ who died for me. I am to uh, to be the salt and to be the light and I'm to do as Daniel, purpose in my heart. I am committed to that purpose. Was it tough? Yeah. He had to request that they not eat what the king gave them to eat. And that wasn't a suggestion. The king fed you, you ate what the king gave you. He had to take a stand and the three other individuals said, we join you. By the way, there's there's a whole thing. It's a lot easier when God's people actually band together for truth than when we're all out there trying to hold on by ourselves because nobody else will go with us even though they say they're a child of God. It's so much easier when the church bands together and says, we support each other in following truth. But they stood. The choice you see, I got to hurry. Y'all are making it too easy to preach this morning. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 through 15 gives you the choice they made not to defile themselves. Daniel 1, 17 through 20 gives you the result that we see because of that i mean i I just very quickly i'll read that 17 through 20 it says as for these four children god gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom and daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams now at the end of the days that the king had said uh, he should bring them in then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before nebuchadnezzar same king and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were In all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of Cyrus. Now, what you see is four individuals that take a hard stand, four individuals that stay committed to their purpose, and four individuals that are found ten times better, and therefore they are magnified immediately. Then, very quickly, I gotta be quick. Number two, Daniel 3 is where we've been at. Daniel 3, uh, verse 8 through 13, and then 16 through 21. I'm not going to read all that. It is where you see the choice. They're told to bow to the image of Nebuchadnezzar. It is a big statue of himself. He wants to be God in the eyes of the people. And so he makes a big statue of himself. You're to bow down when you hear all the music. That's a whole nother thing. I can't go there, all right? But when you hear the music, The beating of the drums, the wild, crazy stuff. When you hear all this music, you bow down to the leading of the music and you bow down to the God that we have before you. And when you bow down to this God, you will be okay and accepted in society. But if you don't, we're gonna burn you. So you see, the choice that had to be made. And they told the king, we are not careful. In other words, hey, we don't have to really think this through there very much. Oh, king, we're not going to be disrespectful because they showed great respect to his position. They didn't say, hey, yo, we ain't going to do nothing, you say. They didn't do that. They are very respectful. They are very appropriate in how they approach the talking, but they told him very firmly, oh King, we don't really have to debate on this. It's already been decided for us. We're not gonna be careful in this matter, we're not gonna be thoughtful in this matter. We are respectful, but respect respectfully, oh King, we decline. We are not going to follow the bowing because it's not that. Not that we, we don't want to, you know, to honor you as the king in that sense, in your position. You've done good by us. And think about it, at that point, he had, been, he had done well by them. And so here he is. He, he doesn't, I, at first, I guarantee you, he, he probably, he didn't want to do any harm to these three individuals that he saw uh, 10 times better than all the rest. But uh, his blood began to boil when they didn't bow down and kiss his big toe. And he's going to make an example of them. But you see the choice. What we read a minute ago in verse number 28 to verse number 30 is the result of that choice when Nebuchadnezzar himself says, Whoa. Let me tell you what I've learned in these past few minutes of seeing my soldiers die and these three, you know, walking around in fire with someone else that I. Can't really describe, but he sure does look like the son of God, not the son of the gods, but the son of God. He said, "How do you know he meant the the son of God?" Well, pretty simple. Later on, he says the angel of God. So he knew he knew very very specifically what he was talking about, what he was referencing. More than likely, something he had heard from these individuals that were in leadership. You know, he probably was aware of their background and what they stood for because it's pretty obvious. And so here he is. He has the knowledge. He doesn't necessarily have the heart for it, but he has the knowledge of it. And now, all of a sudden, he's seeing the results. And he makes the decree and then exalts them. Here's our God-given encouragement. You ready? Matthew 5 Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't even give you point number two, did I? Y'all ready for the point? Here's the point, all right? Resolve to face the discomfort. It wasn't comfortable being the only three standing when everybody else was bowing. It wasn't comfortable standing before the king and saying, Oh, king, uh, we don't have to think about this. We decline. We're not going to follow. We can't. Everything they went through was very uncomfortable. But they had already resolved to face the discomfort and just deal with it. By the way, if you're going to be a Christian in this world, in this day and age, in America, if you're going to be a true Christian, you don't have to go look for a fight. Matter of fact, I don't encourage it. It'll come to you. You don't have to go looking for trouble. It'll find you. Just stand for what's right. Trust me, you'll stand out like a sore thumb, like three Hebrew children standing up in an entire crowd. But our our God-given encouragement is this, Matthew 5, I've got to be done. Matthew 5, 11 to 12, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Guess what? It's nothing new. But if you're gonna be willing to resolve to face the discomfort, there will be discomfort to face. But look at the reward. Lastly, here it is. So we have to resolve to commit to our purpose. Resolve to face the discomfort. And if we're going to learn how to thrive in Babylon, we're going to have to resolve to endure the rejection. This comes in, I, I can't read it, I just got to tell you about it. Y'all know it, y'all have read many times. This comes to the story in chapter 6. The account of Daniel by himself taking a stand. They, they stood together. Then you see the three Hebrew children stand themselves together. And then you see Daniel all by himself taking a stand at another point in his life. And here he is, the choice that is made. The decree goes out that you're not to pray to anyone but the head honcho. You can only pray through the Darius, the king, the leader. And, and if you don't pray to him and through him for anything that you need, which again was ridiculous, and Darius, after he realized what he had, been, what he had done and how he had been had by these uh, uh, evil-thinking individuals, Darius regretted immediately what he had done because he was not one who... He was not one that that disliked Daniel. He loved Daniel. He had already promoted Daniel. The reason they hated him is because Daniel was a slave that was actually promoted higher than a natural-born citizen. And they despised him. They hated him. And they wanted him out of there. And they said, we can't catch anything on him except maybe we get it concerning his God. And so therefore, there's one thing we know we can catch him on. He won't be dishonest. He won't, he won't lie. He won't cheat. He won't steal. We can't catch him on any of this kind of stuff that we would do. So we, what, what can we catch him? I mean, he won't do anything like we do it. So let's go ahead and catch him on something that he can't help himself on. He cannot help himself, but when it comes to his God, he is so committed, he's just gonna do it regardless of what the law is. So let's make a law. We know we can get him on his Honesty, and we can get him on his faithfulness, and we can get him on his belief. So they make the law, and as soon as Daniel was aware of the law, he went as he had done aforetime. time. He went as he was done. He was apt to do what he always did. It was not a question. He had just, later on, you find he spends a lot of time in prayer for his people. But regardless, through all of this, Daniel goes to God in prayer, and he doesn't close the windows and hide because now it's illegal. No, they made a law, and it was not a, well, you know, in today's world, I, well, I must render to Caesar that which is Caesar. No, listen, uh, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you this much. When rendering to Caesar that which is Caesar's is something that I'm told to do, because it, but, but it goes completely against a direct command given to me in God's word, um, I will have to obey God rather than man. Rendering to Caesar that which is Caesar's is is an area where I can render to Caesar without taking away from God. I can render to Caesar without in, uh, inhibiting or, or getting in the way of me being faithful to God. I can render to Caesar without turning my back on God. And if I can serve God and then also serve faithfully as a citizen I do both but the moment that the world the rules for citizenship and the world rules for the nation turn against God and now you tell me I can't be a Christian as God's commanded me to do I have no choice that was Daniel And Daniel resolved to endure the rejection. He knew he was targeted. He knew it was about him. You want to feel like somebody came after you? He knew exactly what it was. They were after him and him alone. He knew what was going to happen. And he knew the law of the Medes and the Persians could not be changed. He knew it had to go through. So he knew he was about to go sleep with some lions. And yet he opened up his window and in broad daylight... I, me personally, if it was me, I would be sarcastic enough probably to stand out and say, "Woohoo! Woohoo! hey, hey, y'all, get your binoculars out, here we go, okay, you ready? Because he knew. There was no question as to whether he was being watched. There was no question as to whether he was being targeted. He knew the exact result. He made his choice, he got thrown in the den of lions, and yet in the end, the same thing happened with Darius as happened with Nebuchadnezzar. Darius prayed and hoped that his friend would be saved by the God he followed. And Darius, before he even put him in, said, the God you serve will deliver you. I think he was saying it with a, a semi-confidence, but a, a, lot of, a lot of hope, right? <laughs> But he came to a degree expecting, but at the same time, he didn't walk with God like Daniel did. He didn't talk with God like Daniel did. He didn't have the relationship with the one true God like Daniel did. But he had enough in him to believe it was possible because he served a real God, a true God. And when Darius found that his his hope was established in what God had done for Daniel, uh, Darius fed the lions, but not with the individuals that they planned to feed. The lions had they, they traded in a bologna sandwich for you know um, um, uh, a golden corral, okay, and and so the the lions had a much better feast by obeying God too. But here's the thing: Daniel endured the rejection, and we're we're, we're through. But I just want to give you this last verse here, Matthew five eleven and twelve. You say, but hey, it's challenging, it's hard. It, I, honestly, I'm so tired of feeling like our island is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and more and more people are jumping off and swimming to shore away from the island that we're stuck on. And it's getting lonely, and it's getting difficult. Fewer and fewer people want to stick with what we have always said is right and godly and holy and what a a child of God needs to be. It's getting lonely and lonely. And even while lonely, they're, they're shooting shots across the bow at us. Here's the challenge that Christ gave concerning that rejection. Matthew 5, 11. No, no, no not Matthew 5. Um, I didn't write down the, the passage. Verse 18 and 19 of this passage. Y'all know what it is. It's what happens when you do so many different ones and you forget to put down the, the reference. Y'all know me. I, references are out the window when I don't have it written down. But it says this: If the world hate you, some of you other preachers can get this one. Y'all, y'all tell me what it is. If the world hate you. Ye you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but have chosen, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. Christ Himself said, rejection is just part of it. And the more wicked and dark this world gets, the darker Babylon gets. Again, I'm not calling America Babylon. I'm talking about the understanding, the idea of Babylon. The darker society gets, the lonelier it's going to be. The more rejection you're going to receive. The more hate is going to be thrown your way. And the more attempts to get rid of you is going to be attempted accomplished. Where do we stand? It is possible for God's people to thrive in Babylon. How do you know? You see it in the book of Daniel. It is possible for God's people to take a stand, not give in, and actually have an effect that's not watered down in society. How do we know? Book of Daniel shows you it's possible. The question is, Are we willing to resolve to commit to our purpose? Not what I want, but what God has already instructed. Are we resolved not only to commit to our purpose, but are we resolved as we were looking at in in being able to face the discomfort? Are we resolved to, hey, I'll do that. I'll face it. Are we resolved to endure the rejection? If we're not, don't expect God to bless us to thrive in Babylon. Well, I can give myself some thriving. Yes, you can, but don't call it God. If we can endure, we can commit, we can stick with it, let God do the work that only God can do, we'd be amazed at the effect that we can still have in a godless society for the glory of God. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to water down. You don't have to try to mix and make it what the world wants. You can stand with truth, and truth can still have an effect if my life follows God's prescription for thriving in Babylon. Heavenly Father, we, again this morning, been long.